We come now to our scripture reading for the sermon. It's from Luke chapter 11, yet another story of Jesus. Uh, We have in our culture, I believe, a picture of Jesus as uh, Jesus meek and mild, which is not untrue. Uh, If you search through the Gospels, you will see that Jesus is indeed meek and mild, gentle and welcoming with children, uh, with the humble, with the hurting, with the social outcast. Uh, But with those arrogant in power uh, or selfish or uncaring, he is Jesus the man's man, uh, Jesus the intense, uh, Jesus the one who brings it on. there is a reason why we love movies with characters like that. The, uh, the Dirty Harry movies, the, the intense lawman who brings it to bear. And we love those because those are a picture, however imperfect, of Jesus, of the king that we long for. Uh, and that's the Jesus we get this morning from Luke chapter 11. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. This is the word of the Lord. All right, this is part uh, eight of an eight-part series. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a three-part series I think is very important. It's going to lead up to Reformation Sunday. Around here, Reformation Sunday is a big deal. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about justification. Very important. encourage you to be here. Very important doctrine. The following week will be sanctification, an equally uh, as important doc, uh, doctrine, and then we're going to talk about glorification. And so uh, the, three, the three tenses of salvation, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. So I encourage you to come on out and be part of those. So we wrap up this session here, this, this series on reordered love. And we're talking about disordered loves. Uh, it is Augustine who, who really, we summarize his thought in this word, in, in, in this phrase, uh, that before we, before we believe and before we think we are first lovers, we love uh, what we are imagining in our minds about what, what would be the good life, what would, what would come through for us. We, we learn to put into practice habits that will work for us. And so that's been the thesis of our series, that before we believe and before we think, we are, we are lovers. We love. And uh, I remember uh, several weeks ago, I started off with that crazy story of me on the edge of a, of a small gully in, in, the, in a canyon in Southern California, and I pushed this chunk of dirt the size of a small Volkswagen, you know, uh, off, 
And uh, because I was a young little boy and I felt, I could feel the power of that dirt underneath my feet. And, and I loved watching that drama of that big chunk of dirt falling and, uh, and how that adult came up to me and said, what were you thinking? And I remember distinctly remembering the word, nothing came to mind. We love, we, have, we are impulsive in our loves and around those loves we form habits. And uh, part of the, part of be, in, in the twistedness of all this, let me, let me sort of give you an insight into what's happening, and that is that we are, in the words of Paul Tripp, addicted to ourselves. <laughs> and, and from that addiction comes all kinds of disorder to the point that we don't even understand something of what's going on. And I'll give you a couple of illustrations. Uh, one illustration would be that uh, when I was in college, uh, I was a student uh, government person. I was voted into office, can you imagine? And I actually had my own office. I had a secretary. I'm a college kid. I'm a stu- I was called the student relations officer. And I had a very vague job description, which I loved. And uh, I remember buddies of mine, we'd hang out in my office, and we'd uh, just goof off till midnight, then get our homework done about 2 in the morning, and that was my college life. But... Um, we used to have banquets at this college I went to. Uh, we couldn't dance, but could we have banquets? Let me tell you. And we could eat. And the student government officers were given the best seats at those banquets. We had a banquet every eight weeks, and I was always in the front row. Uh, was I concerned about students who couldn't afford those banquets? The answer is no. Uh, I enjoyed that prominent place. Uh, I felt important walking around campus, you see. Uh, It's a small little illustration of how I never really thought that much about the students who couldn't afford those banquets. I always thought they were perfectly fine, well attended, uh, doing just fine. But I never really thought of those those students who may not be able to afford the banquets. Let me go a little bit further to a current uh, illustration of, uh, of my twistedness, of this, this heart that's, that's busy, this heart that has all kinds of loves. And sometimes in the mix there, there's legitimate things and there's things that are just not right. Uh, some of you know that um, May 31, 2011 is an important date for me. May 31, 2011, that was the date that was stamped on my passport. And it told me that my passport would expire. But I would look back, you know, 2002, and I'd see uh, 2011. That is a long way away. That's a long way away. And many of you know that I showed up at the airport May 29th with a passport that was about to expire in a couple of days. And uh, that happened this summer. Our family went to Germany. We went to go see the Lopez's. We all know the, uh, Patrick and Shelley and their kids. And so we, we were going to go. And there I am at the counter finding out that my passport is good for three days. And uh, found out that I wasn't going to go on the trip. So I ended up being in Northern California with my mother and my sister, which I was appreciative of, and my family uh, went to Germany. Now, I'm scrambling because I found out you can actually, for a couple hundred bucks, get an expedited passport for about, uh, well, it's, it's about two days of time, but the problem was Memorial Day weekend. Uh, that completely threw this company out of whack. They just, it was amazing. But I was running around Chico, California, trying to get my passport pictures, my passport uh, information, all this stuff, running around all day long, and I had a scene uh, that was in front of me, and uh, it was right out of a John Steinbeck uh, Grapes of Wrath scene with homeless people. In the midst of my driving around, uh, I saw some people who were waiting at a stoplight, 
And they were off to my right, way over on the corner there, and they had a simple sign. But it wasn't, it was, many things impacted me at that moment, but I remember how frenzied I was and how self-aware I was of my needs, and it would be legitimate for a, for a father and a husband to try to be reunited with his family in Germany. You'd think that it, I had a, a right to my self-preoccupation. I see these people over there, and there's something really wrong with them. Why did I refer to John Steinbeck's novel? Because they looked in trouble. Their, phys- their physicality was, was something was wrong. They, they, were, they were famishing. They, they were dying. And their sign, their sign said this, we need a tent. That was it. I think it was a husband and a wife. I wasn't sure. I, look, I looked off the side there because they caught through my peripheral vision. I saw them there, and they were in trouble. And immediately, I thought of how messed up California is. I did. I grew up there. I have a great passion for that state, and it has been ruined by the politicians. Uh, it has been messed up, and I was angry at the big macro picture. Now, I went into the more of a professorial, big, big picture thing. What's wrong with this state? We've got to fix this, and et cetera, et cetera. But my heart, while I could dwell upon its, its, its preoccupation with my own concerns, I quickly moved away and drove away. And later that night, I thought, what is up with you? Could you not go into a, uh, a, a sports authority store? Couldn't you go into a store and for 40, 50 bucks, go buy those people a tent? What would that do for you? What will, how would that put you out? How would that uh, destroy your life? The answer is... Shamefully, no. I say this not to dump a bunch of guilt on you this morning and that you would drive home and say, boy, am I glad I went to church. I'd say this to say, wait a minute, there is something uh, in us that needs to be reordered. And we have, I want to just, here's the premise, I want you to walk away with this. This is the one thing I want you to walk away with this morning. The gospel, if it is real to us, it has to improve all our relationships. That's it. You, if you're a, a, a Christian here today and you're married, uh, your spouse should have the overflow of a relationship with God. Uh, that should be impacting your marriage. You would all nod your head, yeah, the gospel should impact my marriage. Let's go to another area. The gospel should impact my work relationships. Yeah, okay. The gospel should impact my neighbors. Yes, it should. I, I can be hospitable. I can get to know them. Yes. But there's another area of people that we would say, well, I am not responsible for this. I'm not responsible for those people I don't know. And I can tell you, as one who's up here, I can say I can dismiss people I don't know very quickly. I can come up with reasons not to engage them because I don't have a relationship with them. But here's the problem. And the better text, perhaps, this morning would not be the text here, but would be the Good Samaritan story. Um, The Good Samaritan story is a story of the Levite and the priest, the religious professionals. There was no Good Samaritan until Jesus made one up. Okay? Uh, he invented one for the point of a story. And the story has two religious types who look and see this guy who got mugged on the side of the road, and they move around him. Though they saw him, they did not regard him as their neighbor. And we typically do not respond to those we don't know and don't think of them as neighbors. I say this to say this is an area where Jesus confronts the Pharisees, 
and he, he confronts them about how meticulous they are with their religious observances, but they miss the big picture, and that is God's justice in relationships. And so let's just unpack this in, in, in a brief amount of time that we have, but let's just take a look at this very quickly. These are the woes that Jesus is giving to the Pharisees, and he's quite remarkable. He's invited over to a Pharisee's house. You would think he'd be a, a little more of a polite guest. But perhaps it's good that Jesus does this because he exposes the heart and they have some hope if their sin will be exposed to them. The Pharisee was astonished, verse 38, you'll see it there, that Jesus did not wash before dinner. What a crime. He didn't go and uh, take time to wash his hands and to be, in a sense, uh, ceremonially clean uh, before he uh, was to partake of that food. Jesus appears to have read the man's mind. We don't know how he knows this, but apparently he knows the man's mind because he then says, you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And it may feel a little bit uncomfortable here, but Jesus calls them a name. He says that you are those who lack sensibility. You lack sense. He says, you fools. Did he who made the outside make the inside also? But give alms, look at verse 41, but give alms, but give as alms those things that are within. From the heart, move with compassion and give justice, and behold, everything is clean for you. Jesus is presupposing that for a Pharisee and for me and for you, that the heart must be radically reoriented through conversion, through being born again. And if that happens, then you are genuinely clean, and now a reversal is happening. The, the addiction to self is now uh, being dealt with. Jesus is exhorting them, these Pharisees, to stop minoring on the minors and to major on the majors. They loved attention from people. Their preoccupation was how they looked in front of the religious people who followed them. They loved how they appeared. They lived for the approval of others. How people recognized them, how they acknowledged them, that was what made them okay. Verse 40 can't be toned down. He's saying, you must start from the inside out. You must Stop your preoccupation with how you look. God is concerned with the big picture of justice in our relationships. The Pharisees were concerned about being seen as clean. And Jesus then moves to pointing out how unclean they really are. He describes them as Uh, unmarked tombs. He says, you are like unmarked tombs that people walk over and don't know. And here's what he means by this. Your disregard for justice in your relationships, your disregard for the poor, your disregard to help those who need help is making you unclean. And here's what he means. Uh, Particularly during Passover at that time, they would make sure 
that the graves were whitewashed and marked. So if you were walking around on some hillside, you, your body, would not walk over a, 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 a grave and therefore you would be defiled and have to be ceremonially clean. What Jesus is saying is, you are unmarked graves. When people encounter you, they don't know what they're dealing with. They're becoming defiled by hanging around you, and they're not aware of it. Wouldn't you like to have dinner with Jesus? He looks right at the heart, and he knows what you're after, and you want to be seen by people as clean, and he's going to say, I have to tell you with great merciful love that you are far, in a far greater sense unclean than you can imagine. And it is only, it is only through this awareness that we will ever be moved to see everyone in some way or another as our neighbor. We must see ourselves as those who are desperately needing to be cleansed from within. If you hold on to any kind of superiority before people, if you take pride in something about how this... Something you've done that has made you distinct from other people, uh, your education, your effort, your willpower, where you are in life, the hard work that you've done, the things that you've done, if you then hold this, and this is me, I'm the front of the line, you then hold this and say, oh, if you, I only love, I only love, I only extend compassion to people who are like me, who have my kind of education, who have my kind of work ethic, who are like me. And we don't know how, how poor we are before our Heavenly Father, how unable we are to, keep our, to clean ourselves up. Some way or another, every one of us is thinking we are clean. And of course we need to be, of course we need Jesus. But our basic, there's something about us that we say, you know, God, this must work before you. This has to work. This has to have some merit. This has to... I, I'm not as, as, as down and out as that guy I see. And the answer is, you are. We can only approach Christ through that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And this is what we have to preach to ourselves. What did I value when I saw those people who appeared to be near death? What did I value? I valued my time. I valued uh, that I had important things to do. Who would ever, ever say that I was doing something irresponsible in Chico that day? None of you would. If you were sitting next to me, you would know exactly what I was doing. I was being a dutiful father and a responsible husband. I was going to get my paperwork to get on an airplane and get to Germany. But the truth is, I often use my busyness as a mask to cover my responsibilities before those that I see. I, I confess it. Now, here's, here's the good news. Jesus came for sinners like us. Isn't that great? Come to this meal and say, Jesus, receive my poverty. Only through you can I be rebuilt. Only through you can, can this addiction to myself be, be healed. I have a, a matrix of disordered loves within me. I can't figure it out. I cannot even begin to understand myself. But Father, thank you. 
thank you that you have given me your son and you are not ashamed to accept me and receive me by faith. It is not about how many hospitals I build with my life. It is not about how many I feed with my life. But here's the deal. If we would say that this cross is, is everything, if we say the cross is everything, necessarily flowing from that cross, there must be, it cannot be just a cul-de-sac Christianity. It has to flow into a new ordered love. You have been so well taken care of that you are now able to give, to give, to give, to give. There are children in particular, I think of our school, I want to rally you. We, we need to think strategically on helping disadvantaged children who will never, ever get anywhere in this life with the, 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 the lack of education that they will receive. And may we as a church think of those kids who are underprivileged uh, within a few miles of this sanctuary who, uh, who are going to be functionally illiterate. I've seen them. I've been with them. And may we have compassion in a practical way. We've got this extraordinary school. Uh, those of you with mercy gifts, prod the rest of us. Help us think. Help us respond. Let's do something big with this big gospel that we've been loved with. Let's pray. Lord, this has been one long exhortation. Lord, you, uh, you know our impulse how we, long to, how, long, how we long to be seen in front of other people. Father, I, I'm the one who loved those banquet tables and those special seats. Father, I'm the one that day. I, I, loved, I loved being responsible, but I was, I was unaware and, and uninterested in being truly responsible before those that you would call my neighbor. Father, convince us, Lord, to move way beyond just being guilt-driven. To reassess our busyness. To reassess our life. Move in us, Lord. Father, we ask that the gospel's overflow would begin to impact all our relationships. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus who came for us. Amen. Amen.